this year is the first year where I feel like the question of is all this gonna work out in some way in the long term is settling itself. Like everything is just rocketing forward. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with my buddy Shinobi, sometimes my foe. And we're going to be reviewing Bitcoin tech in 2020. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So today I'm going to kick off with BlockFi. Have you heard their massive announcement? I've been telling you about this on the show for a few weeks now. So BlockFi is to launch a Bitcoin Visa rewards credit card in early 2021. It's something I am massively excited about. Okay, so check this out card users are going to be able to earn a market-leading 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin on all card purchases. There will be a $200 annual fee, but there is a $250 bonus in Bitcoin after you spend $3,000 on your card in the first three months. So with BlockFi, you will be able to stack sats on all your card purchases. Waitlist registration is now open to all registered BlockFi clients. And if you want to join that priority waiting list, then you need to open up a BlockFi account. The public wait list is slated to open in early January. So if you are interested in checking this out, I do recommend you do your own research on BlockFi and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, we have Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and it's the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. So you want to know why? Well, firstly, they're consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange and security is really, really important to me. They also have a best in class in customer service. So whatever issue you have, wherever you are and whoever you are, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have all the tools you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show. And I've asked Shinobi to come on and review the technical side of Bitcoin in 2020. As everyone who listens to my show knows, I am not the most technical person at all. It's just something that doesn't come naturally to me. People explain things, I get confused, I try things out and I forget them. I'm sorry, I'm just more of a creative. I do struggle with some of the technical sides, but I know this is important. And I'm starting to recognize more and more that I still need to improve my technical skills. I need to work on this as I have a responsibility to the audience to make sure this is covered accurately and also just up my game. There are a number of people who listen to the show who are in a similar situation. I know because I get the emails where people are telling me they feel the same or they have the same struggles. So in 2021, I'm going to make sure this is something I work harder on. And Shinobi is going to be coming on the show regularly every month to talk to me about technical stuff and also be a bit of a technical mentor to me. So I'm really looking forward to that. He's been on the show before and he's also actually Shinobi is the primary reason that the show went Bitcoin only last year he uh, he gave me a lot of shit about doing an interview with peter ryzen and just kind of made out the responsibility i had it was something i had to dwell over for a while but i made the decision i went bitcoin only and i haven't looked back previously for my beginner's guide he did a great job in breaking down the technical side of bitcoin in an easy way to understand so i thought he would be the perfect person to get on to do this for the end of year review but also monthly next year 
So in this episode, we get into a few things. From 2020, we cover Musig, the Lightning Network, Schnorr Signatures, and CoinSwap. If you've got any questions or any feedback, you want to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Just about winding up for Christmas, another long year, another amazing year. Thanks to everyone who's helped. I am looking forward to having a small break, but raring to go in 2021. Loads of things happening. Can't wait to tell you about. Anyway, have a great week, and I'll see you all soon. Good evening, Shinobi, Brian Trolls. And you know, I never know which one to call you. Well, that's part of the game. What What is my name? <laughs> I, always prefer, I always prefer Shinobi. Eh, whatever works. All right, man. Well, listen, look, you, you were kind enough to come on the show as part of my beginner's guide, and uh, that was very popular. My tech shows don't always do as well as the number go up, moon juice ones. But of uh, the Beginner's Guide ones, and that, that was like the fourth most popular. And it's a very similar number of downloads to the third one. Um, and there was like an Andreas one that did really well. But but it was really popular. It went down really well. I think that combination of your deep knowledge and me trying to like get it out in a way that was easy to understand was really popular. So I think it's going to be good to do an end-of-year review with you, man. So I appreciate you doing this. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'm good to go. All right, man. Well, listen, look, you've been in Bitcoin for a lot longer than I have. Um, and it's even for me, this has been kind of like a really interesting year, year for a number of reasons. I was just on the phone, actually, um, with Willie Wu chatting to him. And uh, one of the things I was saying to him is like, it's been a really weird and fucked up year because everyone's been kind of a lot of people have been on lockdowns. But yet we've all been consumed with Bitcoin. We've all had this like massive distraction of Bitcoin which I think has kind of helped in some ways for me, certainly anyway, just to kind of get through the year. I've been able to like focus myself on other things. But dude, you've been in Bitcoin for a long time. How does this year compare to other years? I mean, honestly, just everything has accelerated. I mean, everybody being locked up inside, I think, has been a big contributor to a lot of uh, major technical developments. I mean... Obviously, on the economic side, things have gone completely bonkers because of COVID this year. So, um, it's it's. I, I don't know what else to say except like this year is the first year where I feel like the the question of is all this gonna work out in some way in the long term is settling itself. Like everything is just rocketing forward. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there because sometimes, yeah, I'm I'm newer newer around here than you. Sometimes I didn't I didn't like people have said to me this week because I you know did a big a big buy in terms of borrowed money off the bank to do a buy this week, and some people are tweeting me, why didn't you do it like three k? And I think the thing was at three k, I didn't have the conviction I have right now, and so many things have happened in this latter half of the year that have given me a lot more conviction behind Bitcoin, one being here to stay, but two being something that goes beyond just retail interest. I think obviously all the micro strategy stuff and corporate interest has happened. But one of the things I did want to ask you before we get into all the tech stuff is that we've seen this kind of accelerated interest from the billionaires, the hedge funds and, and the companies. Yeah, I know you personally are deeply focused on the tech and what it enables you to do do you have thoughts on whether that is a good or a bad thing or are you neutral on it do you, like does it really matter i mean i think it's it's both i mean in one way 
um, that class of, of people or investor, I mean, obviously, like the whole reason um, you took out that loan is looking through and grasping the nature of a speculative attack where people just start mm -hmm. leveraging their assets to accumulate more Bitcoin because as it goes up, it's less and less of that coin to pay off, um, you know, the loan or whatever you've leveraged. So, I mean, uh, on that regard, I mean, that's something people have been predicting or, or looking towards in this space for as long as I've been here. And it's finally starting to happen. But on the other side, like I consider myself very politically minded in this space. Like I, I'm not here just for number go up. I want to see this technology in some ways erode government control or influence on things like i want people to have more free access without all this red tape to these types of financial tools and frankly the the billionaire class the michael sailors i don't think they give a crap about that like they don't care if people have access to those things they don't care about the development and adoption of those types of technologies and so i think like that divide is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger the more of these people come into the space. I mean, look at like Michael Saylor talking about, um, you know, his attitude ab about Bitcoin. Um, who cares about regulatory arbitrage or censorship resistance? Like just use PayPal or, or currency should be the purview of governments versus somebody like Jack Dorsey, who I also have problems with for other reasons. But actively funding development of things like the lightning network of different protocols and, and aspects of the the software that users interface with to actually bring those tools to people and i mean it's like completely stark contrast between the two's attitudes about the space well yeah because i i certainly think there's this split now there is um and some people will sit in both camps but there there are certainly a group of people who who really are, I, I can't remember who said it, it might have been Mike and Space said it, but it says something along the lines of, there's a group of people who, who basically only care about the 21 million. It's a, an inflation hedge and that's all it is to them. Whilst there's obviously yourself and other people who really care about how the technology is used. Someone like Alex Gladstein actually is a good um, lens for, for mm -hmm. that for me as well, because he comes to me with ideas for shows, whether it's uh, people in... Now, we did a show about the people in Belarus who are striking to essentially attack Lukashenko's uh, state infrastructure, but they need they need a way to live and survive. So, you know, Bitcoin donations supported that. A similar thing in Nigeria. Uh, privacy is important. Censorship resistance is important in those scenarios. Um, and and I, th I like I say, I think there's people who sit in, sit in both camps, but there certainly seems to be a new class who really only care about the, the scare side of things and I was trying to weigh it up with myself it's like well does it really matter because if you have a big influx of you know billionaires and such do they create almost like a regulatory moat that protects bitcoin and therefore allows people to carry on working on it in the background that that higher threat from the state against bitcoin you know does that dissolve a little bit with these people coming in I wasn't really sure I mean I think that's just up in the air I mean, things yeah. could go that way. Um, things could also go away where these types of people effectively help strangle Bitcoin and capture it so that it's not useful for those things just to protect their own investment. 
you know, like yeah. like Michael Saylor said, and I I forget um, which which interview or um, piece he wrote that he said this in, but you know, he specifically called out that class of investor, like don't mention these things, don't talk about these use cases because that will make these people nervous. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, that'll have to be dealt with separately. Okay. So listen, we are coming to the end of the year. Uh, one of my uh, goals next year is to become a little bit more conscious uh, of the tech to explain the tech to people to understand it a bit better myself even though I do struggle with it and so I appreciate the fact that you're going to be helping me with some of this so we've got a few things to get through today um, I'm going to do what I normally do is get you to explain it to me in ways that I can understand but most of all try and understand not only how it works but how I would use it and the benefits of it so the first thing we've got on our list which you helped me put together so thank you so much um so we have multisig, which you threw in two things I didn't even know existed was multisig DN and multisig two. Now I'm a multisig user. I've used it twice this year. I've used un so specifically real real quick. Th th yeah. This is specifically musig. Like it, it's a punny a punny name for uh, the Schnorr multisig. Ah, okay, interesting. So learning straight away. Okay, so I I had my first ex exposure to multisig this year. Uh, before I, I mean, multisig is one of those things. It's kind of obvious obvious what it is, but I'd never really used it uh, until I became a Casa customer, and um, it blew my mind because firstly, it's the that added layer of protection, but actually, the UX of what Casa did made it super simple for someone like me to actually use. Uh, I'm I'm really glad I've got my Casa set up. Um, I also used the Unchained version to uh, set up my bet over the, the election with American Hoddle. Now, with that one, it was a lot more technical, and uh, you know, I had to have my hands held held with that. But at the same time, there's something really, really quite fucking awesome about multisig, especially now I've got it, you know, for protecting my Bitcoin. So uh, I just assumed uh, Musig was an abbreviation. So let's get into that. It, explain to me what Musig is, Musig DN, Musig Two R. Okay. Well, f first to get into this. Um, kind of need to break down one, um, signatures at a high level and how they work. And then two, how multi-sig works right now. So r really in, in a, a strictly technical sense, all a signature is, is just taking some secret number that has a relation to a public number and then taking a message, in, in this case a Bitcoin transaction, and multiplying um, that message by the secret number, which then allows somebody to do a, another mathematical analysis to verify that that signature is related to that secret number by comparing it to the public one. Now, all of the signature protocols out there also use a nonce, like a, a random number in multiplying um, that message by the secret number. And the reason they do this is because without having that nonce in there, if I just made a signature without that nonce, I could just reverse that and get the private key from just that signature. Um, and so the, the nonce is kind of like a, think of it like a protective shield in terms of um, that's what allows you to sign things without somebody being able to just do a quick math equation and then actually figure out your private key. And in Bitcoin generally, um, what that nonce is, is you just take the private key you're signing with 
and the thing you're signing and hash that. And now a kind of deeper, like scary thing with nonces is if you ever reuse the same nonce with the same private key to sign two separate messages, that also will let somebody just figure out your private key. And so the reason that to get a nonce, you hash the transaction that you're signing and the private key that you're signing it with is that that will always create the same nonce for the same signature or the same thing that you're signing. So there's no way to ever um, reuse the same nonce for a different message and kind of screw yourself there. Now, with a regular multi-sig transaction, all you're really doing is just having everybody in that multi-sig sign separately with a separate signature, you know, where they make their nonce like that. And so there's no way to screw that up. But when you bring Schnorr into the picture and how multi-sig works with Schnorr, you're no longer kind of having everybody make a separate signature. Um, instead of a multi-sig being these separate addresses um, linked, to, or linked together, you actually take everybody's separate addresses and combine them into a single one. And this gets really screwy because everybody's just kind of collaborating with their part of that combined private key to make a like a single signature instead of everybody produce their own. And so that brings into question, um, like, how do you guarantee that um, you handle the nonce safely? And so pretty much each of these separate MUSIG implementations is a different way to like handle that nonce securely. So like, are you still kind of following here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is where one of my questions will be, okay, I understand what, well, I don't understand what you're saying, but I'm listening to what you're saying. Um, hopefully this is just stuff that like coders, developers, the people are building, the kind of applications I would use, they just handle all this for me right this isn't something i'm personally going to have to fully understand to be able to use a multi-sig wallet right i'm not entirely but you're going to have to make choices or at least um pick software based on the choices developers make because each of these different musig protocols kind of handles that completely differently right okay okay so let's use Castor as an example because that's the implementation i know because i use casa what's what's going to happen there are they what are they going to do i mean you might not know but like what are the options to them well they're going to have to pick a um a variant of music and i think that i'm pretty sure which one they would pick but um you know it kind of comes down to the security trade-offs you want to make so um let, let, let's look at the, the first uh, MUSIG proposal, and I'll kind of break them down as simply as possible. Um, okay. in, in the original proposal, pretty much what has to happen here is that everybody has to generate a nonce, um, and then that's combined into a single nonce for the whole transaction, and then everybody collaborates on their signature. But what the nonce is made of in the original proposal is the private key that 
one participant is signing with, the public key of everybody in the multi-sig, the transaction that they're signing, and then also um, what's called a, a session ID. And this can either be a number that you just increment to add one to every time you sign a message, and then you have to keep track of that. Or it can be a truly random number. And th the problem here, though, is randomness with a nonce is much more dangerous than something like generating a key. Even if you have kind of randomly, so to say, generated a nonce, if there is any kind of bias or just subtle non-randomness in that number, that can be used to break the signature and find your private key too. So using this version of Musig, the original one, you either have to have a guaranteed source of randomness, like something like a hardware random number generator, or this number that you increment, you can never lose track of that number. Because if, if that's erased or not updated properly, then the next time you go to sign, somebody can try to trick you into using, you know, the, the same nonce in a signature. And kind of the whole problem here with Schnorr is um, how everybody generates their own independent nonce and then combines that into a single one. Let's say you and me have a two of two address. If I use the same nonce on the same message, like I, I just generate something honestly because let's say our internet, you know, disconnected in the middle of signing something, but you pick something different, then that effectively combines into a different nonce that you created together. And, you know, now I'm kind of um, screwed in the same way that, uh, reusing a nonce in a conventional way would screw me and you can deduce my private key. So whenever anybody's doing um, like a Schnorr multi-sig like this, everybody has to use the same nonce for the same message. And if anybody kind of tries to change something in a second go at signing that same message, it has the same effect where you can have your private key leaked there. So, if, if you do not generate a securely random number or if you're using this kind of counter and that's reset or not updated properly, this can you like lose you your private key in signing um, with a malicious party. Right. Okay. So I'm going to hazard a guess that a, a lot of people, there are a lot of people who get this instantly, the, the tech people, they understand that, but there's a lot of, lot of people who are going to be listening to this, I think, Shinobi, and they're going to be going... Yeah, you've completely lost me here. Just tell me that somebody else is figuring this out, and when I go and use whatever device I'm using, it's just going to work. That's I think I think that's what most people would want. I, I know some people will argue me against that and say, "Pete, stop being anti-intellectual," but I, I actually think a lot of people just hope this is all done in the background. Like that's the great thing about Casa, right? Is I don't really need to understand multisig. All I need to do is have my app and have my. Um, uh, de uh, devices available to be able to sign something and it works um, all i have to do is be conscious of you know distributing my keys in a way that makes it very hard for somebody to to access them 
and I'm kind of okay with that. And I know, I know, trusted blah blah blah. What people say about trusted third parties, and in some ways, Carter is my trusted third party. But I kind of need some level of trust because I can't, I can't technically do this without someone like Carter. So again, my same point to you would be: is like, do I really have to worry about all this? To some degree, because you're going to have to pick, you know, which piece of software to use, and there are kind of these multiple ways that they can implement multi-sig on Schnorr. But I, I will say, though, um, this original um, implementation that counts on secure randomness or this counter, this is probably never going to be implemented anywhere just because of how dangerous that is and how easy it could be to mess that up. Like ju just your computer failing um, and not updating that index number could leave you open to a malicious person in that multi-sig figuring your key out. So like this, this proposal is kind of at this point in the dustbin. And if you see anybody trying to implement this, you should probably tell people don't use that software. So is that just music or is that music DN or is that music two? Sorry. Just which one? Is this it? is just the uh, music, the, the first version um, that oh, okay. was designed. Okay, so the first version was designed and it exposed some flaws. So what does Music DN or Music 2, have they solved these problems? Uh, yeah, in, in two different ways that come with two different trade-offs. Um, so Music DN kind of stands for deterministic nonce. And this is kind of a way to do this how it works normally in a transaction um, or signing for Bitcoin, where everything is always going to be the same like there's no random number interjected there's no counting index um it's pretty much just everybody generates a nonce based on um instead of the private key you're signing with it's a, a special um like private key set up just for the nonce called a nonce key the public key for all the signers in the multi-sig and the message and then doing things this way um, everybody can kind of make their nonce and then generate a zero knowledge proof um, to prove that the nonce that they're giving everybody else was generated this way correctly with these things input to it and that way um, you pass off kind of the nonce and the public key to that nonce key with the zero knowledge proof and then everybody involved can check the proofs, check that the nonce was generated correctly, and then sign everything. And if anybody is kind of playing games or didn't generate the nonce correctly, uh, so in a way where they could try to steal somebody's private key, then the zero knowledge proof will fail and everybody can just refuse to sign. And so this way there's... Um, kind of a two-step interactive process here to sign anything so people actually do have to communicate back and forth between the clients but there's no need to count on randomness there's no need to keep this index number safe um, this this all just kind of works um, without having to track this other information so more like um, a non-schnorr um, signature works right okay okay so Explain to me what the difference between music and multisig is to do with uh, Taproot. Is that correct? Um, it, it's just um, Schnorr versus um, non-Schnorr keys. 
because effectively before Schnorr, a multi-sig is just taking, like, let's say you're doing a two of three, mm -hmm. you literally just take those three separate public keys or addresses, and then that's put into a script together. So you can see each individual key in that multi-sig after you spend it. With Schnorr, it's literally just taking the three keys in that and combining them to make a single key that looks just like a, a, a one person or, or one key address. And then these music protocols are kind of how um, everybody with their piece of the key for that can generate a signature without, um, you know, giving their piece of the key to anybody else. So like conventionally, like uh, a multi-sig is just like adding these separate addresses together in a line, so to say. And Schnorr is literally like adding them together just to get a single address or number. We, we should probably explain to some people who are listening probably got no idea what you're talking about when you talk about Schnorr. But this is the this is to do with the license for the signatures be, uh, expiring, right? Now that now this is the reason it, it wasn't included before. I, I can't remember the, the name of it. If you said the thing, and I'd remember it. It's the name of the um, EDC. What's no? What's the thing? ECDS. Yeah, ADCS. Like I do remember some it's, of these things. ECDSA is what we use right now for a signature algorithm, mm -hmm. and Schnorr is what we're going to be shifting to. And actually, Schnorr was developed before ECDSA. It's just somebody patented it. Um, yeah. And so the whole reason that ECDSA was created was to just have a, a signature algorithm that was open for everybody to use without patents. Pretty much the, the main difference just comes down to like the algebra behind they work or how they work. Um, with ECDSA, it's not really a straightforward um, thing. Like it's, it's kind of very difficult to do like additive or subtractive things without breaking security. Um, which is kind of why, you know, multi-sig is each separate address, um, shown independently rather than just making a single address out of them because you, you can't really just add things together, um, and make ECDSA signatures work. But with Schnorr, because the math works differently, like you, you can, kind of do a lot more general math operations like um if you add two um you know public keys today together um it's not really straightforward um or even secure really in a lot of circumstances to just add two private keys together and be able to get um an ecdsa signature without actually giving one half of that key to the other person but with Schnorr, um, you know, you can just kind of mush public keys together and it's a lot easier for a group of people to make a signature for that without having to give up the actual private key to the other person. All right. Awesome. Well, okay. So this sounds cool. Um, as I said, probably something that won't affect me directly unless somebody else builds it in. I'm certainly not going to look at the details too much, but the next thing we should move on to and talk about is, uh, discrete log contracts. Again, I've looked a little Ooh. bit at this. Hold yeah, on. we we well, we didn't explain music two yet. Oh, ah, okay. Sorry, <laughs> music two. Okay, sorry, man. Let's do music two. <laughs> so, um, 
the trick here is again just how the nonce is generated and pretty much um instead of generating a single nonce per person everybody generates two nonces and then effectively shares those around with everybody and kind of take um like that whole set of everybody's nonces and you hash it and then you take that hash and kind of your two nonces um, separately and you combine those things um, to come up with a single nonce and then once everybody's done that you combine them together to get the global nonce for the whole transaction and so the trick here is that um, if anybody changes one of the two numbers that they share with everybody then the hash of all of those are going to be different um, and so the the nonce that everybody winds up pitching in for the whole transaction also winds up being different and so if anybody tries to play those games of like let's say trick you into using the same nonce but i'm gonna change mine to try and steal your key um, that won't work because the minute I change the information or nonce that I pick, then what everybody else kind of throws in in the table changes too because of how you kind of hash everything together before you start um, adding and like generating new things. And so the, the big advantage here over Musig DN is that let's say you and me make a multi-sig we can exchange those nonces ahead of time and then um, rather than an interactive like multi-step process to make a signature um, it's just one step like i sign you sign you just push the transaction to the network and we don't have to go back and forth as long as we um you know already exchanged those, those two nonces ahead of time and so all three of these laid out together are suited for kind of different things optimally like throw throw music one out um like that's dangerous and shouldn't be used anywhere but music dn kind of protects you from having to track um data besides your keys that there is no way that if you lose some piece of data as long as you still have your keys that you could um be tricked by anything but with music too if we lose those nonces that we exchanged then we kind of have to take a pause for a second and sort that out because that opens the door um for shenanigans but um yeah so it's like the, these different things fit different use cases like you know you you brought up a uh, casa a few times in this section mm. like Casa might want to say implement Musig too, um, just because it, it'll be easier for you signing with hardware wallets. Like you're yeah. not going to have to go pass back and forth um, multiple times. It's much more like it is now. But they also might want to implement Musig DN because even though you have to go back and forth, like you don't have to store these nonces and not lose them to make a signature. You know what I mean? And so there, there's kind of like a, a little trade off in terms of like what you're protected from and how 
easy it is and how little steps you can make a signature in. Yeah, I mean, like I say, though, I just want Caster to make that decision for me and not really even think about it, which I know some it really winds people up some of this, but it is just so complicated. I don't want to having to that want I don't want to have to know how both work and which has a benefit and I just want them to make the decision for me. That's essentially what I pay for the service for. Does you understand that, right? Yeah, but it's just, you know, kind of think about it like you you're not going to have to and most users aren't going to have to understand the details of these things to such a low level, but you're going to want to at least have you know some kind of understanding of like okay, I'm using this one so I only have to click the sign button and then put something to the computer and submit it. But I have to make sure that I don't lose this extra piece of information that I can't just generate from my seed versus, you know, okay, I'm going to have to go back and forth a little bit, but I don't have to worry about like not losing this other file. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, as long as they explain that to me, though, like it, it would just become a procedure. I already have a procedure at the moment uh, with the various hardware wallets I use to sign you know, a transaction, as long as that's all explained to me. But the actual inner workings of it, I just I, I, that needs to be solved in UX. Other, otherwise, it just becomes too complicated for most people to to spend time on and, and also opens them up to making their own mistakes. But I'm sure Castle will solve this for me. Like I say, I, what I pay Castle for every year I'm paying them for you for the UX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go on to the discrete log contracts because I think this is a bit more interesting to me because I think this is potentially something I could see over the next few years be something I could start to, start to use uh, as I as I start to use Bitcoin a, a bit more. So let's start by you explaining what discrete log contracts were are, and I know when they were kind of announced earlier this year, uh, people were very excited with them. So let's explain it. Okay. So. If you think about a lightning channel, like what is that? It's just a bunch of pre-signed transactions that enforce an outcome. You know what I mean? Like if if Mm -hmm. I open a lightning channel to you, I spend half of a Bitcoin to you. So there's half on my side, half on your side. We have these pre-signed transactions to guarantee that we both get the right amount of money. Right? Yep. So a DLC is pretty much taking a bunch of pre-signed transactions like that, but instead of just requiring you and me to sign off on something, um, it requires an oracle. But the the neat trick of how you kind of construct this is um, the oracle effectively is just an entity that, let's say, tracks the price of Bitcoin. And every 24 hours with its Oracle key, which it publishes publicly, um, signs the price of Bitcoin in a way where it reveals information to sign with that key or to um, kind of fulfill a condition in an uh, adapter signature or a smart contract. And so what you and me would do if we want to bet on the price of Bitcoin is create a whole set of transactions. Let's say we're only going to care about dollar price swings. So we start with the price of Bitcoin now and then below and above it, create a transaction for every dollar um, that Bitcoin could go up or down um, to a certain point. 
that all require the Oracle to sign that price to be valid. We pre-sign all of these and then, um, you know, just load that like you would a lightning channel with the funding transaction. And then at the end of it, the timeout period, the Oracle, if acting properly, will sign the price of Bitcoin. Um, and then both of us could either just cooperatively sign and settle that properly in one transaction. Or if one of us doesn't want to cooperate with the other, we kind of take the signature from the Oracle and plug that into the correct pre-signed transaction. And one of us can just settle that unilaterally. And the nice thing about how this works, um, ideally, is an Oracle just broadcasting this information doesn't have to know who's using them as an Oracle. Like you and me can just privately go, we're going to make this bet and pick some public Oracle that signs that and make all these transactions. And that Oracle has no idea that you and me are using them to settle this bet. Okay, that's so, interesting. Well, so let's try and think of a. Have you got a good example that people understand of how this might be used? You know, you've said bets, but yeah, we could do a bet on the price of Bitcoin going up and down. But can you think of anything else, any other scenario that this might be used in? Yeah, I mean, this could be used. Um, I mean, it has been um, to bet on political elections. Um, you could use this for sports betting. Like, hell, if, if you can find an oracle that will sign off on the weather somewhere, um, you can bet on the weather. Like, like pr pretty much anything that an oracle two people will trust to say, like, this is what happened or didn't happen, where you can actually make a set of pre-signed transactions that will settle money or money accordingly, like, y you can use this to bet on. Like you can gamble, make financial contracts like uh, futures or options. Like it, it, it's really just you just need an oracle that people trust that are going to go this happened or this didn't happen or this is the price of something and so on. I guess there is a scenario, though, where the oracle can be corrupted. The oracle could deliver false information. So. I mean, what can you really do about that? Well, um, through the beauty of cryptography, um, you could use multiple oracles. Okay. Like, let's say we, we don't trust um, Bob, the oracle, alone to tell us what the price of Bitcoin is. So we'll get Alice and Carol, and we'll have all of them involved in the um, the contract so that we're not trusting a single one of them. And then, you know kind of federate that in a similar way to stuff like liquid like mm. there's still trust involved but you're not trusting a single party right okay so do you see a scenario therefore of a market marketplace being built being created for oracles then um yeah absolutely um i think really the the bigger that Bitcoin adoption picks up in kind of the, the sports betting, the gambling markets, so on. I think we'll start seeing a shit ton of different oracles pop up for all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, like sports betting, poker, those are some of the biggest like transactional uses of, of Bitcoin um, and have been for at least as long as I've been here. 
And then from the financial market side of things, I mean, I, it's just a matter of time until people start building, you know, financial derivatives and stuff with this. Okay. And just think about this. So did the oracles themselves take a small part of the transaction fee as a payment for being the oracle? Is that something that's built into this? Um, it's not something built in inherently, but um, you, you could try to do that in, in certain ways. Um, you know, for instance, um, I think there's some thought at SuredBits for kind of um, monetizing that with micropayments over Lightning Network. Yeah. Um you you could potentially try to play games with um selling access to like a, a signature for a certain event or something but r really it's just the the design space of how you want to implement this is massive. I mean, you can have an oracle that knows that you're using it. You can have an oracle that doesn't know that you're using it, like in the example I gave. Um, you can have ones that operate for free, um, try to find some way to charge for it. Like it, There's really just a lot of flexibility in different ways you could use this. Yeah, I think I think this one's super interesting, especially on the betting side. Somebody who loves a, I love a wager myself, um, not just in sports as you've seen this year, but no, I, I I can see a real use case for that. Is there like a business use case for this? For example, legal contracts, and could you have an oracle which is not not based on say a, a specific piece of like data that's coded in, but I guess a, a trigger of certain events that would lead to the the payments of you know a lot of people talk about <clears throat> for example uh, housing contracts what like once a house like um, once contracts have been handed over that all the different payments that need to be paid to the different parties can happen is that something that can happen with like this or is this purely for database oracles well i mean potentially but you know re really what it comes down to is being able to map a set of possible outcomes or where that money should go to a set of pre-signed transactions. So, I mean, oh, I like you, you, you could try to do things like that, but honestly, personally, I think it would just make more sense to just use a normal escrow without pre-signed transactions set up like this for those kinds of things. But in, in principle, you could, Okay. All right. Cool. Well, that's that's a, that's definitely something that's interesting. Um, I'll be intrigued to see how that plays out. I guess prediction markets is another one then. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. You could build uh, prediction markets on top of this, and really, um, that just that would get kind of interesting in the sense that you know, the the way this works is you can kind of pick your own oracles. You know what I mean? Like there's. Mm absolutely no requirements for let's say people who bet on the uh u.s election this year like there's no reason why everybody making that bet has to use the same oracle like you could use bob i could use john um you know somebody out there could federate and use both of them so it it, it really kind of starts at least in my mind asking the question like what is a single marketplace you know what i mean mm. Mm.
Next up, I talked to Shinobi more about Bitcoin, Lightning Network, and CoinSwap. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, I'm going to kick off with Sportsbet.io. Massive year for them. They've really, really done so much to support the show. So thank you. Thank you, team at Sportsbet.io. Also, thank you to them for everything they do for Bitcoin. They really do push Bitcoin forward. They are promoting it in the Premier League. They've put a Bitcoin logo on the Southampton shirt. So all the billions of people around the world watching Premier League football and now seeing a Bitcoin logo. I've spent time with the team out in Estonia. I know what their plans are for next year. I'm really looking forward to working with them. They are the best place for online gaming and they do support Bitcoin. So if you like a flutter and you want to check them out, they have every market you could possibly be interested in. Everything from the Premier League to US sports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. And that is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And we're going to finish today with Casa, who without doubt, and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, they are the very best place for Bitcoin security. I've been a customer now for over six months. I've talked about this every single week, but it is so important, especially this week with everything that's happened with Ledger. If you get yourself set up with a castle, you're going to be able to protect yourself from so many situations, not just hackers and personal mistakes, but also in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. I've put myself in a situation where it is impossible for somebody to come to my house and steal my Bitcoin. It actually is a multi-day operation for me to move any of my Bitcoin from cold storage. I couldn't have done this without Casa. I signed up and I've just got so much peace of mind. So if you're a little bit nervous these days, if you're starting to think, oh, look, I need to upgrade my Bitcoin security, please do go and check out Casa. And if you've got any questions, my DMs are open, my emails are open. I'm happy to talk about this. Now, Casa do have a product for every Bitcoiner. So with their gold product, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that is only going to cost you $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their three or five multi-sig. Now, this is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders, and this also comes at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering. This includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to get your Bitcoin security shit sorted and get total peace of mind. If you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. So the next thing we're going to talk about is lightning pole. So let me, before we get into this, I want to tell you my kind of views on lightning at the moment. So I kind of stopped caring. I kind of lost interest in lightning, just being someone who's a, like more of a light touch Bitcoin user. I was thinking, I've got no use for this. My use, for, my use case for Bitcoin is holding and storing value and occasionally transferring some of that value around, usually uh, big ticket amounts. I just don't really have a use case for buying things with lightning. And I just didn't really care too much i actually started to think you know is this is this a project that we don't really need and then i did this interview recently with nick bartia uh, about his book layered money where we really talked about the evolution of bitcoin where it, the kind of migrational uh, sorry the evolutionary stages where it goes from you know store of value to unit of account to medium of exchange and then it's kind of like that realization that actually there will come a time whereby i potentially will be using uh, bitcoin for smaller ticket purchases because not because I'm choosing to use it instead of fiat, which is all, it doesn't make any sense right now. You know, people want to hold on to their Bitcoin. It's because 
you want to hold on to Bitcoin and you will only uh, accept Bitcoin because we're going to move to this stage where fiat becomes so worthless that you only want to transact in Bitcoin. So eventually you might get to that point where, you know, maybe I have a business service that only accepts uh, Bitcoin or I'm dealing with people who only accept Bitcoin. So I'll have to use Lightning. And therefore, I kind of got this realization. It doesn't matter how much Lightning is being used now. It's how useful and how ready it is for that stage where we have moved to that point where it's a, a medium of exchange. Is that like, do you understand that realization I went through? Sorry for my shitty explanation. No, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, it's really the nail on the head there. Um, most people don't want to use Bitcoin for payments. And I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like I frequently do just because I'm all in Bitcoin. Right. Like if I still had some fiat revenue or fiat holdings that for whatever reason, I hadn't put into Bitcoin, I would instantly spend that first, but I'm all in. And I mean, it, that's kind of the, the big bootstrapping problem. You know, like uh, I, you, you didn't really use the these terms, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Like everybody constantly talks about Gresham's law and how everybody wants to just hold the good money and not spend it. But the other side of that is Thiel's law, which is Nobody wants to accept anything but the good money. And so inevitably there has to come that, that tipping point. And before that tipping point, you really have to specifically create a reason for people to want to spend Bitcoin. And like that's kind of the entire thought process behind products like Lightning Strike. Um, you know what I mean? Mm. Like just hook your bank account up there and you can spend your dollars, but people will receive that as Bitcoin if they want to. So it's kind of bridging the gap between Gresham's law and, and Thiel's law. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, I do. I do. Because that kind of there are certain times where I've had to use Bitcoin to buy things. I, I had no choice. The the Whatever it is I'm buying only accepts Bitcoin. So that realization that I might do the same at some point, or that this might be an increasing phenomena uh, that you know people just don't want fiat. Like I do, I have to, I have to because of you know, my life and my lifestyle. I can't be all in Bitcoin. But that kind of realization is like, well, hold on. So if if that is something that's like three, four, five years ahead, well, isn't it great that we will have had a decade of lightning development in that time? You know, all you know, all this great work. For example, this lightning pools that we're going to get onto that that all would be done in advance. So that was a really important realization. So now, when somebody says, "Oh, nobody's using lightning," I, I get it. It doesn't matter how much they're using it now. It's whether it's set up and ready for the point when people need it and it does the things they need it to do. So, if just before we get onto this lightning pool, like, what is the general kind of status of lightning development? Because, you know. Outside of Lightning Pool and a couple other things early in the year, I actually haven't heard too much. I mean, honestly, um, it's been ripping along at a massive speed. And uh, I mean, that that is all super nerdy, autistic things. But, you know, th things have really been moving forward. Um, there's been a lot of development for kind of solving issues of like let's say the the fees go up um very quickly and you have a pre-signed transaction um with a much lower fee and a lightning channel how to deal with that um there's been a lot of developments in terms of whole new ways that you could structure the pre-signed transaction that a lightning channel actually is 
that's a lot more efficient using block space. And then, um, you know, that's ignoring things like uh, lightning loop launching, which allows you to atomically swap in and out um, of the lightning network and the main chain without closing a channel. Um, you know, it's, it, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people not actively playing with this probably haven't noticed. But, you know, from my point of view, there's been a lot of um, development progress this year, like quite a lot. All right, cool. Well, let's get into the lightning pool because, again, this came out recently. A lot of excitement around this. Ex explain what it is and why this is so important. So this solves one of the biggest problems of the Lightning Network, which is um, if you don't have Bitcoin, like how do you get somebody to open a channel with you so that you can receive Bitcoin over the Lightning Network? Um, you know, it's not like on chain. You can't just be sent money. Somebody has to open a channel with you to do that. And so pretty much what Lightning Pool did is built this massive marketplace where you can solve that problem. And before this, pretty much the, the solutions here were um, stuff like Breeze Wallet would just open a channel with you um, when you create a wallet so that you can receive money with their own money. But that is very ineffective and eventually you know they're going to run out of money like lightning breeze um, is probably not sitting on enough bitcoin to open up channels to every single user as their user base keeps growing or um, pretty much go on bitcoin twitter and beg like hey can somebody open a channel to me so this lightning pool marketplace kind of solves all that and pretty much the, the idea behind it is somebody's operating this pool. Um, so in this case, Lightning Labs. And in order to enter it, what you do is you connect with Lightning Labs and make a two of two uh, multi-sig, kind of like a, a Lightning channel, with a pre-signed transaction that'll give you your money back after a while. And then you load that wallet. And pretty much the, the whole point of the marketplace is that um, I can go to this marketplace and I can go, hey, I would like to have somebody open a channel with me so that I can receive money. And what I'll do is in this two of two that I opened with Lightning Labs, uh, we'll, we'll call it an account, I'll place a bid. And every block, they will match bids to people with money to open channels with. And this is kind of like a, a coin join. They'll go around everybody who has had bids matched in the marketplace and make a big transaction that pulls money out of everybody's accounts um, and pays them to the person opening a channel with you if you're buying a, a channel. And in the case of somebody selling a channel, it will actually open that lightning channel together in the same transaction you're paying for it. And so they'll go around and get everybody to sign this transaction. And then all at once in, in a big like blob transaction on chain, it will take money from everybody buying channels. And then from the people selling them, it will actually open up those channels. And the neat trick here is that 
I can kind of guarantee that a channel will be open for however long I paid for because they add an extra time lock um, on the channel that gets opened so that it literally is not valid to be spent on chain until the, the lease that I opened expires. So if I go in this marketplace, I pay a small premium to say, have somebody open a lightning channel to me for two weeks. That channel will have a two week time lock on it so that it cannot be spent on chain until two weeks. So this person who opened the channel with me, they cannot close it until my lease expires. And so it's kind of a, a decentralized way for routing nodes to sell their receiving liquidity for a small premium to people who need it. And it's atomic. So you pay money, you either get your channel opened or you just don't sign your transaction and nothing can happen to your money. And it, it solves this problem of like, how do I get a channel to receive money without counting on some single centralized entity or, or going on Twitter and being like, can somebody help me out? So like th this really solves one of the biggest core problems that Lightning Network had. Okay. So can I myself choose to essentially loan Bitcoin into the pool? Yeah. So I guess the question I then have is that um, opening up a light, opening up and closing a Lightning a channel, as you say, it requires a two or two. So that requires two on-chain transactions. So for me to do that, obviously, potentially depending on what, what fees are like at, at the time, but that's something I have to consider whether I'm going to lose or profit out of loaning money into the into the pool. And imagining the fees are you know, very marginal, yet the on-chain fees could be a bit higher. It, it's like, have, have the economics of that been thought through? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if this is actually implemented right now or if it was just part of the design, but um, the bidding process allows you, I think, to kind of specify, like, I don't want to pay um, more than this in fees to kind of safeguard against things like that. Yeah. Do you, do you see a scenario where, you know, in the future with Lightning, that channels almost remain permanently open or could remain almost permanently open? Um, I don't really think given how money flows in the economy that that's possible to do forever but i think that the the more the fee market matures and lightning grows that people will try to keep channels open as long as possible as long as they're actually gaining some benefit or profit out of that yeah um well it sounds interesting I, I, you know lightning's one of these things i do need to spend a bit more time on you know using it and understand it but i mean this is obviously a super important thing um decrypt said this brings DeFi to bitcoin is that true or is that just like one of those annoying statements um no i would actually say that that is pretty on point and um you know kind of the the interesting thing about this um from an economic point of view is this is kind of another revenue stream um, for routing nodes on the Lightning Network. Like right right now, you kind of just open channels where you think people will want to make payments to. And, you know, if you guess wrong, well, you're just not going to make a lot of money. You have to close that out and go guess again. Um, but when you're leasing channels through Lightning Pool, even if you open a channel somewhere that doesn't... Um, 
you know, receive a lot of money, you're not making a lot of routing fees off of it. You still make the, uh, the premium to open that channel in the first place. So this actually kind of makes um, revenue for routing nodes a lot more predictable. Like you'll, you will at least get the lease fee, even if you don't get a lot of routing fees for opening that channel. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, before we move on to the next thing, is there anything else on Lightning you want to cover? Uh, I could probably sit here for the next hour ranting about a million different things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do, we'll do a separate Lightning show at some point. Okay, the next one is something I am uh, interested in is CoinSwap because I had Belcher on the show. Um, it, that, is, that is the Chris Belcher project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the one um, I think um, Human Rights Foundation uh, uh, sponsoring that project with them all, uh, helping fund that, helping his fund his work. Um, okay. Yeah, them so, and Square Crypto. Okay. So, and this was, as I believe it, um, I'm trying to remember back to my interview, this was something which uh, Gregory Maxwell kind of theorized and that uh, Chris has picked up. So let's explain to people what CoinSwap, are, CoinSwap is. Um, some people will be aware of CoinJoin. So how does it like compare and contrast? Well, let's, let's look at coin join and describe that as a privacy tool that everybody sees you're doing like if i make a coin join i mix some coins in a giant transaction where everybody's outputs are the same amounts everybody sees that like i i'm creating confusion and now you're not necessarily able to point at the input of mine and figure out which output is mine but you know that i mix those coins like you you can see i am trying to obscure which coins are mine and there's no real deniability there um so coin joins are kind of everybody making a single transaction together the idea behind a coin swap is that you're pretty much atomically linking a bunch of separate transactions that don't connect to each other so that you and me can swap our coins between each other. And if done properly, nobody really sees that. Like, you know what I mean? It it doesn't give away that I'm trying to obscure which coins are mine. So how does this compare to like a mixer, the, the old mixers we used to have back in say 2013? Um, imagine coin swaps as somewhat similar to that, except there's no central person who is kind of doing it and seeing where everything is going. Like an old mixer is like, you give me your coins and I give you completely different coins, but I see which coins were yours and which coins I gave you. The, the idea behind CoinSwap is kind of accomplishing a similar thing, but there's no person in the middle who sees where everything is going. So there's no person who can be arrested for running a mixer. Hmm. Interesting questions here is where we have to talk about the regulatory side or the uh, regulatory, regulatory lens that might come over this because um, obviously we had the Dropbit Wallet CEO arrested um, and is currently facing charges for running a mixer so do we potentially face you know this is something that can be created and run i'm imagining what you're saying without that central person but do we still face potential issues of those people working on it under threat is that something that's been considered or talked about 
I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think we're anywhere close, at least in the West, um, to developers being targeted just for writing software. But okay. I do think there is kind of a different risk that coin swaps have versus coin joins. Like, for, okay. with, say, with a coin join, everybody just throws their inputs in together and then constructs their outputs. And as long as everybody sees they're getting their money back, they sign this transaction and push it to chain. So it's just a single transaction. It's very clear that everything that goes into that is mixing itself. Um, and, you know, you might get yelled at for that. Um, some more brutal regimes might try to argue that's money laundering in and of itself. But yeah. in the reality, it's it's clear that you, you mix this and... At least in America and a lot of other places, I don't see much trouble other than if you deposit that to an exchange somewhere, they're going to be like, explain this. You know what I mean? With with a coin swap, though, like this is like you and me put our coins in a, a multi-sig that looks like a single sig address with a withdrawal transaction so that um, if somebody cheats, we can just take our money back and no harm. Um, but people can see that we were trying to do a coin swap, but if things go successfully, like our coins go into these two, like intermediary addresses, and then they come out of them later and they're both in our control unilaterally. We've switched our coins. Well, let's say, um, you're some crazy terrorist and I didn't know that. And mm. I go to deposit to an exchange. That's a lot more um, like of a sticky situation because we, we did not kind of taint our coins together in a coin join where it's like we are mixing these and everybody can see this. Like we just switched them over with no connection between them. And so rather than kind of ra rather than making everybody's coins tainted in the same way we're just kind of switching any taint that might be associated with that coin. And there's no obvious sign on chain that something like that happened. Right. So if a coin's tainted and I've, I've got a tainted coin, I swap it with you, you now have the tainted coin. Correct. So mm, that presents some issues really in that you could be you could coin swap with somebody and give them a tainted coin that identifies you as, you know, having done some particular, yes, particular things like you say, maybe terrorist activity, money laundering. Could we somebody face prosecution for somebody else's activity? I mean, potentially, yeah, but like the the silver lining there, at least in my mind, is that as far as chain analysis and evidence like that. Um, I have still to this day yet to see any conviction in court where that was the sole piece of evidence. Like that has always just been part of the evidence pile and there's a lot more than just chain at or chain analysis to accuse and prove somebody did something. So I don't think that, you know, somebody's actually going to do this in a situation like that and get thrown in jail for 10 years, but that might create a very large legal headache in the meantime dealing with that. 
Yeah. Um, how how will this be used? Does that, does somebody have to run a service for you to be able to use this, or can it exist as a decentralized service? Um, the the way Belcher is implementing it now, it's kind of like the maker taker model that Join Market uses. Like everybody can just kind of advertise. I have coins to swap with, and then people can come in and pay a fee to do that. But therefore, it does require like a centralized service to run it. Um, no, it ju- it just requires some way for the makers to advertise themselves to to takers so that they know they can go swap with them. But how do they actually how do they actually do the the exchange? Well, kind of the thinking that uh, Belcher's at the last time I talked to him is kind of just creating a uh, like a distributed um, message board over something like Tor. And when somebody wants to offer coins as a maker, um, he's kind of looking at the idea of using like a a bond where somebody has to like sign and lock up um, some coins for a while to prove they actually have coins to stop the coordination board from being spammed. But pretty much just like a, a distributed network where people can pass around these advertisements and then if you want to go make a coin swap you find a maker who charges fees you like and you go hey i, I want a coin swap all right interesting interesting okay so do we know how far away this is to uh being something that's actually usable um honestly i don't like kind of putting timetable predictions to development work but okay Hopefully, um, you know, given that he's actually received multiple grants for this, um, sometime next year, maybe we'll have something pretty um, relatively fully formed to play with. All right, cool. All right, let's move on to Taproot. We don't need to spend too long on this. I've done a couple of shows with um, with Andrew Polster about this. And Quick interjection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I keep doing yeah. that. But... um. The, the, the one thing I want to say uh, last about CoinSwap is not, nothing is magic in terms of privacy tools in this space alone. Mm. And I think that CoinSwap and CoinJoin are probably going to be useful things interacting with each other. You know what I mean? Um, like one kind of gives everybody the same taint but everybody can see that's happening while the other just kind of swaps it around and nobody can see that's happening i see a lot of use for kind of you know maybe a pattern of coin swap and then coin join that or vice versa to kind of get the benefits of of both you know what i mean yeah yeah okay uh, yeah, privacy is something I definitely need to work harder on. Um, another one of the things on my to-do list for next year. Um, okay, so Taproot, again, like I said, we don't need to spend too long on this because uh, I've had Andrew Polster on a couple of times about it. And to be honest, it, it does go way over my head. I think a lot of people it will do. It seems to me it's just more like a, a tool for developers. But just uh, out of interest, just a very quick overview of what Taproot is. It's going to Obviously, we're going to be repeating ourselves from the music stuff. But um, I think I'm most interested in is what's happening with activation. Well, um, I think that everybody has PTSD from Segwit activation, um, Mm -hmm. pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you're going to have to explain that to people because there'll be some people who who 
you know, I get new people coming all the time, especially right now. We're in a bull market. Like, why do we have uh, PTSD from Segwit? Um, well, back in 2017, when it was deployed for activation, um, Bitmain and a lot of their customers refused to activate it, um, demanding a hard fork block size increase, too. Um, and that became a whole month long or months long thing where some people in the community were threatening to just turn it on anyway and risk a chain split and the miners dug in and up until the last minute kind of refused to just cave to that and at the end of the day it came out that um segwit pretty much broke a mining optimization that bitmain was using that allowed them to make extra money and that was the whole reason behind it um, and a lot of the miners, aside from Bitmain, um, pretty much didn't really care about it. They were just being told by Jihan that if they supported it, he would stop selling them hardware. So it, it, it pretty much became a giant shit show between this mining business that didn't want to lose a, a competitive edge and most of the rest of the space who kind of wanted to push the technology forward so that it was more scalable and flexible. And that, that was a good six, seven months of shenanigans, arguing, um, sitting on the edge of the seat before finally, through a bunch of silly rationalizations, they just activated SegWit and then backed off on the block size increase and made Bcash. Um, and so I think everybody is just kind of uh, <laughs> caught in the mindset of any fork is going to lead to a big fight like that um, because everyone has PTSD. All right, but still, it, do, it does have to get activated at some point. So, like, what, what you know, what's going to make this happen? I mean, honestly, it's at this point, I don't know. Um, I mean, the miners are getting on board with it now. Um, a lot of the mining pools are kind of showing their support for it publicly and signaling. Um, most of the community supports it. There's no real arguments against it. Um, I think just at this point, a lot of the contention comes down to how should we activate it? Um, just set a date where it turns on um, have miners signal for it and nobody can make up their mind because of differing degrees of worry about 2017 repeating itself right okay all right it does it does it does feel like a different scenario though from 2017 because we we don't have the same issue of people wanting to create a new coin out of this so i mean i can't really add anything of interest here but okay well, it'll be when it will be. Okay, uh, last one on the list that you wanted to talk about was BIP85, um, just so people know, again, because people listening won't even know what I'm talking about or what you're talking about when we talk about a BIP. But a BIP is a Bitcoin um, improvement uh, proposal. So what is BIP085 and why do you want to talk about that? So this is a really cool thing as far as wallet generation and backups that I think could be very, very useful pretty much for more technical or competent Bitcoiners to hold the hand of, 
you know, less technical people in their, their family or, or friends circle and so on. But pretty, pretty much, um, even the less technical people listening should know this. Um, you generate your wallet and you get your word seed. And if you lose that word seed, all your money is gone and you're screwed. (laughs) Well, what BIP 85 allows you to do is take a pre-existing seed, um, like say mine, and I can deterministically generate from my own seed a separate seed. And there's no way um, cryptographically for that new seed that I just generated to ever be reversed back to my original one. So I can generate as many new seeds off of my main one as I want to. And any of those could be compromised and they will never be, um, it will never be possible to take one of those child seeds and figure out my parent seed again. And so just on, um, you know, a single person using this, this can be very useful because, um, you know, there are so many wallets out there. Um, people who actively play around with or spend their Bitcoin are going to have multiple wallets rather than have a, a bunch of different separate seeds that you, you don't want to lose. You can just have your one main seed and generate multiple other seeds off of that. So like I can have my cold storage and I can generate my hot wallet for lightning for like Blockstream green, whatever, and just import those. And as long as I keep my cold storage safe, all of the other wallets that I made off of it, I can just regenerate again. So rather than have to keep like six different seeds safe, you just have to keep your main seed safe and all the other ones are recoverable from that. Okay. And I think that the really interesting thing here in my mind, and I want to be very clear here that this is a risky thing. Um, so this should never be done, um, except between people who would trust each other with their life. Like do not do this with somebody who for a fraction of a second, um, you think is, is not trustworthy especially around money. But, you know, I finally convinced my parents to, to grab a little Bitcoin um, over the last few years. Nice. And they are some of the most terrifyingly technically incompetent people I could imagine existing. Yeah. With BIP85, I can take my word seed and generate a new one off of that for my mom. And she can store her coins there. And as long as she doesn't pass her seed off to somebody else or like fall for a phishing scam, like if she loses that, I can just regenerate it and go, here you go, mom. Don't do that again. But the risk is here. I can always access my mom's money. Like she can never take the seed that I made for her and access my money but I can always access hers. So in like a small, like, you know, social setting, like really close friends or family, if you have that one competent person who can handle shit properly and everybody else around them can't, 
that person can kind of hold other people's hands if they trust him not to steal their money in that situation so that like there's no way to lose money yeah i mean the perfect example for me is my kids so they're different ages but my son definitely has an interest in bitcoin now he knows some basics like he he knows there's 21 million he knows what i do you know he knows of the name satoshi nakamoto he said to me a couple of times like he came to me actually do you know what i'm out of order he came to me recently when i gave him his birthday money he said oh can, can i have it in bitcoin instead and i was like no don't worry about having it <laughs> i said don't worry about having a bitcoin now because this is your money you spend through the year this was this was back in april right so actually he would have made some good money off that and i was like by the way when i die you get all my bitcoin anyway but actually to be able to create him and his sister wallets for bitcoin and to educate them about bitcoin but them not have to worry about the seed which is something they could screw up but just so they have a period of time like they're going to trust me on their dad and then when they're ready they can obviously you know at some point in them you know, adult life create their own wallets and, and transfer their bitcoin out but actually i can see that scenario working between me and my kids perfectly yeah, exactly. And so it's like, as long as there is trust in whoever is actually generating the seeds for people, like, I really think this is so underappreciated in terms of like, how powerful a tool this is for more technically competent Bitcoiners to kind of hold the hands of their friends and family so that we don't move forward with shit tons of stories of oh i lost that what i wasn't supposed to take a picture of that and upload it to icloud and (laughs) and so on and so forth (laughs) yeah that's pretty neat okay cool well listen look i think that's a that's a lot of good tech stuff we've covered today um a combination of items which um, as per usual i don't think i will spend too much time on I, i i will be trusting other people uh, to to do that work and my um, you know particularly things like music but I am very excited about CoinSwap I'm very interested in what's happening with Lightning so that's very interesting just looking forward to 2021 is there anything else on the horizon that's particularly of interest or excitement um well definitely um I'm gonna lose my marbles if we don't get Taproot actually activated um sometime next year so that hopefully. But, you know, really, it's just, I, I don't know, that that question, I am not quite sure how to answer. Um, I, I, I can think of tools and software that I can see being built out, new advances, um, and, and just really base-level technical stuff coming. Um, like, I, I think next year is going to be a very bright year for Bitcoin. Yeah, well, yeah, based on this year anyway, um, I'm very excited about next year. Uh, I'm also uh, quite excited about the fact that you're going to be helping me a bit more through the year. Can we talk about that? Uh, Yeah, you want to jump in and let everybody know? Yeah, so uh, based on the fact that everyone yells at me all the time for not being technical enough and uh, not understanding enough, uh, uh, Shinobi's agreed to uh, come on the show once a month to run through technical items to give an update and for me to like ask those questions like we've done today. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. We'll do a monthly show on that, and that's going to be very cool. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, we uh, we do argue a lot, but I do think we appreciate where we're both coming from, so that's going to be cool. So appreciate that, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I appreciate the chance, man. I dove into making content in this space just to try to push information as wide as I can, and uh, I think you uh, helped me out a little more than uh, vice versa here on that front.
All right, sweet. Well, that, that'll be good. Every every month we'll get a show out. We'll cover the tech stuff, and I think you're going to be mentoring me a little bit on the stuff I'm a bit shit with. So that should be good. Well, listen, look, appreciate you as ever, Shinobi. Appreciate you coming on. We've come a long way since that first fight when I was getting on a plane from uh, Boston over to Hong Kong. Um, and look, I appreciate everything you do. <laughs> Have a great Christmas. Um, you were you were pretty much the trigger for well, not pretty much. You were the trigger for my show going Bitcoin only. Uh, back then and uh, i'm glad i did it but i appreciate you man have a good christmas happy new year and look forward to 2021 Mm -hmm. same to you i plan on violating lockdown three times this holiday season (laughs) (laughs) all right man take care see you soon Mm -hmm. peace all right what did you think of that one did you enjoy that show with shinobi are you looking forward to some more technical shows i definitely am so big shout out and a big thanks to shinobi for helping with this Now, I'm really looking forward to doing these monthly reviews. The technical side of Bitcoin just doesn't come easy to me. And I think having these constant updates and using Shinobi as a bit of a sounding board on everything that has happened in Bitcoin will be super helpful to me and hopefully to you Bitcoiners out there who listen to my show. This is going to be the last show I make before Christmas. Normally, we would have a show go out on Friday, but that is Christmas Day. So we are skipping that one. We're having a day off. You should have a day off. But don't worry, we'll be back with an absolute banger on the 29th. I'm joined by Lynn Alden, where we're going to be looking back at 2020 through a macro lens. Okay, listen, if you want to support the show, I'm going to ask this again. Just go over to iTunes, leave me a review. Hopefully you love the show enough to give it a five star review. If you think it's shit, leave a one star review. I mean, it's not helpful, but, you know, feedback is always welcome. Outside of that, just planning to wind down. Looking forward to having a few days with my family at Christmas and hope the same for you. It's been a really, really weird year, right? So hopefully we can all sit down, have some turkey, open some presents, eat some chocolate, chill out and start looking forward to 2021. Listen, have a great week. I love you all and I'll see you all soon.